Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Before we kick off, a couple of favours to ask you. The first one is we want to see as many people as possible on Saturday the 18th of February at Parnell Square at 1.30 for the Solidarity March, uh, Ireland for All, Stronger Together. Let's see if we can send a message back to say that no, we don't accept these far-right talking points. We understand the genuine concerns that people have in relation to housing, healthcare and education. You know, we need people need those services. But the blame does not lie at the feet of immigrants. The blame does not lie at the feet of of minority communities within Ireland. The blame lies firmly with those in power who have the power to to address these challenges. Uh, So I hope to see lots of you there. Also, if you're listening to this and you enjoy what we do, please help us keep the tortoise shack going. And the way you do that is you click the link that's in this podcast that you're listening to right now. It says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. You have a look and see if there's a level there that suits your budget. It's the only way we keep this show on the road because we have no ads, no sponsors. We rely totally on you. I uh, hope to see lots of you on Saturday and I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and delighted to be joined in the pod today by the producer of Reboot Republic, the inimitable Tony Factcheck Groves, who is here, as always, to add wonderful brevity and levity and all that. Tony, how are you? It's good. You you said brevity. I love Chekhov. You said levity. I'm not funny, but nonetheless, it's good. It's good to You're uh, a good hell to of a lot funnier than me. Yeah, like a toothache. <laughs> but no, Rory. Look, it's actually listeners enjoy the conversations that we have where we just talk through a few of the issues. And yeah, you you had mentioned you haven't mentioned some of the things that have been sort of itching at you, scratching at you, and you were looking at a health inequality report and. You know, listeners of the Tortoise Shack will be well aware that obviously our our, uh, our colleague Martin McMahon has has been a um, I don't want to say can- cancer survivor, but someone who's battled or whatever phraseology mm. you're supposed to use cancer for a long time. And we know that there there that there is difficulties in our health system with outcomes. But some of the stuff that that sort of struck you, um, you thought it's worth it's worth it's worth mentioning because some of this stuff slips under the radar when people are up to their eyes literally in the latest scandal or just getting on with their day yeah yeah absolutely no it was a report that came out last week from the oecd on inequality and cancer outcomes and um, and what it showed was the headline was the poorest are 40 percent more likely to die from cancer than the more affluent and like it's worth just repeating that they're 40 percent patients who are from a highly deprived background are 40% more likely to die from the disease than the most affluent. Um, that is staggering. I, 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 I want to push in and just say one thing. I remember when we used to, we used to sell critical illness cover as part of um, you know mortgage protections and things like that in, in the banks. And we'd often have this sort of um, line down pack where they'd say four out of five of us will get a critical illness. Luckily, 80% of us will survive those. Imagine what it means for those 20% who are what the, the income decile they're in. You know, that that's what it sort of hammers home to me as someone who used to be able to say that salesy line so quickly, so easily. And uh, yeah, it's terrifying when you put it like that. It really is. It really is. And, and you know, it's like inequality kills. And 
there's this concept which I think we talked about before here. Um, myself and Gabrielle, who who was on Gabrielle Collar and um, talked about that concept of structural violence. That there's a violence within the system itself, which comes from structural inequalities, class inequalities, that results in people dying unnecessarily. And, you know, when we look at the, you know, some of the reasons, of course, we know them. There are things like waiting lists in terms of diagnosis, access. Um, and, of course, they're all health factors, what we call, what are often ter- referred to as lifestyle factors. But, of course, they're not lifestyle factors. They're factors that result from inequalities that are, that exist. And we, of course, had on a number of times um, the great Richard Wilkinson, uh, co-author with Kate Pickett of The Spirit Level, who talked about how inequalities, um, health outcomes are worse in countries with higher inequality. And he talked a lot about stress. Now, stress isn't, isn't mentioned in the, uh, the, I didn't get a chance to read the report in detail, but in terms of the the framing of the report, of the coverage of I read, it was a lot about this concept, you know, people smoking, higher levels of smoking, lower levels of um, pre-cancer screening, of course, which is related to access, of course, uh, and waiting lists. But the issue of inequality and stress and poverty and stress, because we know there's a strong link between cancer and stress levels. Um, and I think that that's something that we need to talk about more, but it just shows that but it actually it's terribly sad because what it does is it puts that 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 um abacus bean counter face on what we've what we've known we've known that these issues were 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 actually you know costing lives we've seen people say the queues in A&E are having are, are we're we're resulting in avoidable deaths or whatever phraseology yeah, we use yeah, you know yeah. so we know that this is this is what's actually happening but behind all those numbers there's someone's life is gone someone's brother sister mother aunt uncle whatever the phrase whatever whatever that person is there were something to somebody and we know that sadly how is this happening now when you know as, as particularly from an irish perspective when we're told that the economy's booming we've full employment we've never you know we've never had it so good and yet actually for the first time i don't know if you saw this recently life expectancy in the us has fallen yeah yeah and uh, and of course, this you know is linked with inequality, like directly linked with inequality. Mm. And when you look at areas like healthcare, and of course, Martin, um, our good friend, um, you know, is is living this, you know, in terms of potentially being able to access, you know, well, he, the procedures he needs, the procedures and procedures he, he needs, and and you know, if he had the money, could he access them immediately or more or less? I, I could tell you if he'd had the money, we could probably get it done in six weeks. And if he, but because we don't have the money, we're waiting six weeks to maybe speak to someone about talking about something that we might have to talk to someone else about. Yeah. And when we know this, we know mm. this is happening. People who have access to the the money to go get operations and interventions done, they get it done. And those who can't have to wait. And waiting lists in relation to cancer a lot of it, as far as my understanding, is the screening um, and then waiting lists for some operations. But we know there's huge waiting lists. Mm. And that means with cancer, death. And we've seen it. We've seen it in, in terms of issues of diagnosis. And, you know, it, what it shows for me is that 
the idea, you know, we talk, you get all this backlash, you know, Ireland is unequal when we highlight inequality and, and yeah, all yeah. the the economist bros come back and go, oh, yeah, but look at our income rates and look how, you know, we're yeah, middle yeah. of the table in terms of post-tax income redistribution. And you're like, inequality is much, much broader than, you know, income levels or taxation because you, if you don't if have you, public services that are accessible, then your your income, you know, we face much higher costs in Ireland than other countries. And so we've, we've seen a 60% uplift in the number of working poor in in one year last year. Six, an additional 100 and I think it's 108,000 people that are working fell into the at risk of, uh, risk of poverty category. So to talk about the econ bros, if you want to put them that way, think about what that means. It means the stress that we keep talking about. That, you know, you're living under that yeah, stress where you yeah. know you're you're probably dependent upon waiting on maybe family income supplement or the half payment to make sure rent is going to be paid, or you know you were dependent on something, and that is this crumbs from the table mentality saying, "Well, you know, we have these they're getting they're getting X, Y, and Z." Without anybody saying what it's like to sleep or try to sleep when you know you're putting your head on your pillow going, actually, if we don't get that in this week, you know, where, where am I? And how do I actually stand on my own two feet? Where is human dignity and why is this? And it's all linked back to what we talk about all the time, housing and the right to a actual reasonable standard of living. And this is where this is where it comes back to. It does. And of course, it also goes back to investment in our health services and there's this, there's two sides. One, it says, oh, we're, we're spending so much in Ireland in comparison to other countries on health. But in part, that is private health care and expenditure on private health care, which isn't expenditure on public care. And actually, when you provide health systems and we look at the US, they say the highest expenditure similarly on healthcare in the world. And in part, that is because a large part of it is private because it's more expensive. Profit is coming out of it than public publicly provided services. But as a proportion, our investment through the public health system is not, you know, particularly high. We are quite low. And we're also like the the thing is about, you know, we had austerity, which cut, absolutely cut investment, particularly capital investment, but across the board, investment in our public services. And health was at the heart of that. And people go, oh, how are we in this situation? Similar to housing. It's like, well, you know, austerity came at a price and we're still we're still dealing with it. And of course, our population is growing, thankfully. Um, And that requires greater investment as well, which we should be doing. And of course, it is, um, you know, it it is just, I think the question of inequality, and it's so important that we keep it, I think, discussed, because when we look at this and you look at COVID, you look at the delayed, you know, diagnosis and services as a result, we look at the cost of living crisis, the stress that's causing to people that, you know, people are sicker when they're poorer and they have worse health outcomes. And that is inequality and that is not right. It is not right, particularly when we have such wealth in this country. It's it's an important. I think the health that report really struck me as something that. And you know, we need to highlight. And if, if I can say how absolutely I'm agreeing with you here, but we also have to put that in the context of. They sat down, they asked all the experts, whether they were on the right or on the left or wherever they were, to come in and talk about a commission on taxation and give us your recommendations. We know that Fine Gael, who were who you know, held the whip hand at the time, didn't even make a submission about it. They got this report and they turned around and they said, we're not, we're not even going to look at that because... The ideas were just too radical. Well, I think I think actual the, the 
Tarnish at the time, now Taoiseach, said it was straight out of the Sinn Féin manifesto because there was yeah. an idea for a wealth tax. Yeah. Now, yeah. we still have to, then we then you count on that and you say how, you know, the Oxfam report comes out and shows that two people have more money than the bottom 50% of the country. Right. And then you say, well, this is where then. And, and then I saw to his credit. Um, oh, uh, excuse me, folks, the 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 business journalist with the Irish Times wrote a piece, which I could have written a couple of years ago, where he said about, look, the game is up. We have to admit Ireland's a tax haven here. You know, yeah. um, and yeah. that's that was this weekend. And you're thinking, look, we know this, but that would be kind of all right. I'm not OK with it, but it would be kind of all right if, if the cake that they keep talking about was getting divvied out, Rory. But it's not. It's clearly not getting divvied out because you've got so many people in these situations whereby, as I said, we haven't even recovered back to 2008 levels of um, medium income r- ratios to where people were, you know, suffering in terms of. And now we're seeing. Last year, when we had this mega 12.2% increase in GDP, we still had an uplift in more people falling into that risk of poverty category. So something is fundamentally broken in our economic model. And yes, yes, inequality is at the root of it. But unless we're being serious and able to sit down and say, um, either we get really good at the distribution side of it, or we get really good at building a new economy out of this over the next couple of decades, because you don't turn it, you don't turn that ship around in 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 twelve months. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right, and we have to, and and, and I think it is about, you know, recreating a new economy that isn't built on these inequalities because. When we look at things like, because it does go back to you know what Kathleen Lynch. Professor Kathleen Inch talks about, you know, the lack in neoliberal capitalism, there is a complete lack of valuing of care, care roles, care responsibilities. And when we look at, for example, disabled people and that they have, along with lone parents, um, the highest levels of deprivation. And you go, what is so wrong? Or, or you know, it, it shows what is so wrong in terms of a system of economics and how it organizes society, that some of its most vulnerable and, you know, are, you know, to use the phrase, most disadvantaged um, within the existing system are left like this. And you look at, you know, again, in terms of being able to access services, afford them, when those groups like disabled people have the highest rates or those who cannot work due to illness or disability have the highest rates of, of deprivation, they're then also the ones who can't access the services that are needed. So they're like doubly and triply disadvantaged. Yeah, no, and and we see that in terms of outcomes, even when, even when inequality was actually falling post global financial crisis, when we came out of it and we started to pull back some of the losses we'd we'd, we'd made during the period of austerity. We saw people left behind and particularly people like travelers and people with disabilities. We saw that. And that was very clear in terms of levels of unemployment, educational attainment and and the at-risk of poverty metrics. It also plays into a certain thing that we want to talk about a bit as well today is the, the fact that, that that's where this palpable sense of anger in communities comes from. That's where this you know, genuine feeling of neglect and feeling of fate of being left behind by by the system now it's 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 manifested itself in ways that i would call frankly a lot of it intimidatory not 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 legitimate in terms of protesting but i understand where a lot of it comes from and i made the point and i can get 
killed for all I want the people want to say. I said it's easy to look at a lot of these people and say and identify the hate. But it's also, if you look closely, it's also to see that some of it comes from love of their community, of their 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 aunts and uncles or their or their someone else who is not benefiting or, or has been left behind, or maybe they they've lost. You know, there's there's a lot of that in these in these areas as well. It's up the road for me in Ballymun, Rory. It's been playing out in the streets of Finglas. No one's no one's making excuses for anyone on this podcast. You don't you don't go and shout, burn them out, get them out, and this sort of this intimidatory things. But we have to link that idea where we started this conversation around inequality and bring it to the to communities that are decades in neglect and now being told, you know, well actually even the the little resources that you have, we're still going to actually, you know, cut and cut and cut. And that's the way they feel. And yet it's and it's easier then for bad faith actors then to say, well, the problem is that guy, the guy, the the brown guy, the the person of color, the the other. That's the that's your issue, and it's it's become very very difficult to then w- wade through that and say, well, it's no good. Tony Groves coming on, as you said, Tony fact check Groves coming and go. Well, you know, without without the migrant population, our health service collapses. No one cares when I'm when I'm pointing out, you know, the statistics mm. behind that. They want to know. How are they going to be eating at the weekend and paying the electricity bill that's coming that we're all terrified because we've seen what's been coming out in the last few days? All of those fears are real. And I think it's really important to discuss this, you know, honestly and in a sense of like, you know, I posted a video earlier there that there are people who are manipulating a truth, which is homelessness. And that these communities of Ballymun, Eastwall, Finglas, Trimna are the ones who have been hit hardest by homelessness um, and very real, um, very, very real experiences of a sense of abandonment by the state. And I have, you know, we have and I have and others have, you know, highlighted this for years and years um since you know 2014 we're talking you know heading into seven eight years of uh, you know and people like john bissett who's written a new book which i'm going to talk to him soon on the podcast about it have highlighted even longer the abandonment of this of these communities of so-called disadvantaged communities by the state and that you know when we look at you know where does this come from and the anger and 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 it is rooted in an anger over exclusion and abandonment from poverty to lack of social housing to homelessness. And then what it's happening is it's been manipulated and turned onto refugees and, you know, all this, you know, it's now we have the additional, you know, conspiracy theories and all the stuff about, you know, the safety of women and all this, this, this stuff, fears that they're preying and preying on and manipulating. But they're able to operate because of the inequality. They're able to foment this because of the failure of government to deal with the housing crisis, to, to let these communities sit um, in suffering. And, you know, I... You know, recall you know some of the, the you know analysis of the French riots in the early two thousands in the banlieues in the suburbs. You know, of being riots of the you know riots are the the voice of the excluded, and we have to see this that it is 
And therefore, just by saying, as you said, oh, you know, migrants are beneficial, you know, which of course is what we think and they are, and we know they are, that alone is not going to address this. That that, that we have to, which we have been trying to do, is is solve these real issues mm. and of I, exclusion I, and homelessness and and point and and I suppose the key thing I think that our intervention can do, and hopefully people will listen, is to point the finger that protesting and at asylum seeker centers and blaming migrants will not get one house built. That is not a solution. Like getting the eviction ban extended would do something in terms of housing and homelessness. And you protest at the government over that. Yeah. And and I, I look, I agree with you. And I think what we need to have is that is those. And it's I I've spoken to other people in in, in political parties of all of all persuasions by the way, I find the people on the left tend to be more keen to, they're knocking on doors. They're saying to people after the protest has come true and they're saying to them, listen, this is all happening. Have you any, you know, is there any sort of facts that you want to talk about? Any issues that you want to talk about? And when people are talked to one-to-one or around coffee, around a cup of coffee or over a, a kitchen table, they're having the conversations and it's actually getting true. But it's exhausting. And it's particularly exhausting when you have a government policy that has, you know, like a couple of years ago, we spoke about a white paper on ending direct provision. Now we're at, you know, um, well, put them, tell them there's no room in direct provision anymore. Tell them if they're staying in direct provision, we might charge them rent. (laughs) Um, You know, like all, like we've gone so far in this way. And then we have, it has to be said, the mixed messages from the government have been phenomenal. They're saying, we must not give in to right wing, far right agitators in these mobs. Statements like that from the Minister for Justice, followed up quickly by another statement from the Minister for Justice saying, "Anybody who's uh, who's tearing up their documents, maybe throw them out." You can't do. You're making statements that we can't. We have to adhere to international law, and we're losing that argument because it. <sighs> You can't. You don't get to sell dog whistles as as an industry for a decade and then g- give out that the dogs are barking in the streets. And I, I find that very, very, very discomforting when I when I see it. And I do think that there's a, a level of what a friend of mine calls uh, the quiet hum of racism. Is you can hear it in some of the state's policies to how they treat people, particularly, and we've seen it exposed on a different level since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We've seen it play out a little bit more, and it just makes things a lot worse. Yeah, and I think that it's really important. You know, you know, you talk about people knocking on doors to commend that work, and you know that that you know direct talking to people because that is how you know, we will address this. It is talking to people and standing along with communities and trying and shifting it in a progressive way, um, in a way, in a positive way, in a constructive way, like the work of, you know, East Wall for All and um, the, you know, it was an amazing protest. I was at it on the the uh, bridge in Fairview, you know, such incredible solidarity. I know there was a really good demonstration again on the weekend and there's another one coming up um, on the 18th. And, you know, those shows of public solidarity are so important um, because, you know, there, there is a certain sense of it is a there is a, a battle for the narrative, a battle for the streets, a battle for the public imagination that it is a we are in the midst of now, I think. I think possibly Irish politics and society is in the process of being changed uh, 
fundamentally, we will never politics will never be the same again in Ireland. I think I think we are now entering a point where the rise of the far right is going to be quite significant. This is not going to go. Yeah, away. You, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube now. I I I agree with you on that, and that's the that's the that's the emblem. It's We've very had... sad. It's very 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 sad. Um, very sad, and. I think that we're going to have to work really, really hard to try and minimize their impact. But they are going to have it, and there's going to be more people like Peter Casey and others who are going to step up as so-called moderate racists yeah. and claim that space. And we have local elections, presidential elections, general elections. It, it We are going to see it. And make no mistake, it is going to grow. And they are tapping into um, as we said, those huge inequalities, um, and then that racism that's around, that latent racism, um, that we've had in this country since the foundation of the state towards travelers, um, you know, these the racism that's there, that casual racism you hear, um, by you know, many people towards those who are black, towards as I said, travelers, migrants, mm-hmm. um. It's, are, it's, but it's but the but the but there was an element that it was kind of a little bit more, you know, it was it was confined it was confined to certain spaces and it's not dire anymore. It's it's much more mainstream now, and you know we've seen it and it's been. I've made the the comparison of you know the, we always say you, if you swim on the back of a crocodile, you're gonna get you're gonna get he's gonna turn around and bite you eventually. And too many people have thought that they could swim with crocodiles for the last number of years, and now they're going. Oh wait, the crocodile uh, turns out he's not actually my friend. I I do want to move very quickly because I want to. I'm conscious of time, but. Right, there's been nothing but scandal after scandal after you know whether we go we can go back to last summer when Robert Troy didn't know we had 14 homes. We can talk about Damien English forgetting he had a house down the road. We can talk about the litany of of scandal attached to the tarnished, or whether it's he knew about this um, strategy about nursing homes or he didn't know about it. We can talk about all of these things, but there is a, a narrative that's come out from the state saying, you know, well, we have to protect the public purse. And then some in the media have picked it up and said, yes, it's it's cruel, but, you know, this is kind of the, the, their role. And I just find it actually a false narrative from beginning to end because they don't protect the public purse. They absolutely don't. I mean, no. why? No, like, I mean, why? Go back. I don't even have to go back more than a fortnight to Killian Woods revealing that we can't that we're we're paying on average the 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 least the 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 smallest gap was one hundred and thirty eight thousand euro more for a home in Ireland in a, in a town in Ireland to its equivalent in another EU country. Yeah, well, the, you go back to it, the whole point of neoliberalism from mm. Thatcher was about creating the state as a market for business, which is that it was corporate welfare. The emergence, that's what it was about. <laughs> yes, that's fine. That's fine. You can leave her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, the, the the theory of neoliberalism disturbed by the reality of children. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Um, no, but the, 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 this whole thing of corporate welfare, privatization, outsourcing, you know, the state is a welfare subsidy for the rich. And for big corporations, like you look at the tax breaks that are given to the real estate investment trusts, mm. we're essentially giving them, you know, they don't have to pay taxes. No. 
to profit from, you know, generation rent. And and it is just, you're absolutely right to point it out that this idea that the state is protecting the taxpayer in terms of, no, it's not. The state no. doesn't, like, the state as we have it is a conservative state that claims that it is, you know, as you say, protecting the taxpayer. Well, on the other hand, it is actually all about uh, privileging, you know, wealth and private interests who can, who are, we know, linked and part of, you know, elite, the golden, you know, circle. I remember it used to be called and referred to like, we still have that, you know, those who, who gain from it and those who, but you're absolutely right to say this. We don't protect the public purse. I, I, I spoke to Lynn Boylan earlier and Lynn was true, true work with others through the FOI process showed that in 2009, Eamon Ryan helped what are called large energy users, corporates, right? Large corporates and, and businesses get a subsidy from you and I paying more for our gas and electricity that would, would reduce their bills. And it was done as an emergency response because they said they had to save jobs during the global financial crisis. It would reduce costs for business. It was an emergency response that then became permanent and they're only winding it down now because it's come to the public light. That's the truth. And not only are they only winding it down now, when it came to when the FOI started to come out, what also came out was was the tarnished at the time was the Minister for Trade and Enterprise, if you recall, Rory. And he said, oh, no, we shouldn't wind down this subsidy because it might it might uh, make us less competitive for these corporations. So, again, they're not protecting the public purse. They're actually bleeding us dry. We're all getting back 50 quid, apparently, from the ESB in the next in the next few months because of this this scandal. Mm. But the truth is. We, they can't actually tell us how much they took because the the regulator for or, on, on in the in area doesn't actually know how much they took. They just averaged it out at fifty million per year. Yeah. That's what they've <laughs> done. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you look at it, they are about you know the state ideology has been one of you know essentially trying to keep Ireland. You know, and it's the same. You know, in in these in countries that have followed the broad neoliberal model, it's you. The state does not put these extra costs on business. Is the idea that it facilitates through lowering taxation, rather than looking at it completely different, which is what the social democratic countries do. Um, whereas they see the state as a co-investor. That actually, it's better for everybody when. We do invest in things like health and education and business and um, in terms of actually investing in it as co-investors and as, you know, cooperatives. And because like even when you think about the costs, right, of the state pursuing these, as they say, you know, saving the state money in terms of having to pay out over private nursing fees or whatever it is, you're going that model. You know, those things should be free for people. It should be a public service. And of course, the, the model of fee paying benefits the private providers. And so it's, you know, you're absolutely right to point. There's a hypocrisy at the heart of it. The state is not about protecting the taxpayer because if the state actually invested the money it could invest, for example, the six billion in the rainy day fund, that would be providing affordable housing, proper public health care. That would be defending taxpayers, but they won't spend it. Because they don't want to interfere in the market too much. What does not interfering in the market too much mean? It means you want to have lots of opportunities for businesses, big corporations particularly, to provide housing, to provide healthcare, even to provide forms of education. And that's pro-business. 
I like. I mean, again, you're absolutely right, but we don't have that mindset. We have that neoliberal mindset. But again, I just want to, the challenge. I suppose goes to people who are when you're reading something is to pick it up and say this. This make you know. I saw people saying that makes sense. You know, oh yeah, they punish people. Like we we all watched RT last night where survivors of mother and baby homes uh, who are being excluded from the redress report and they're going, that's you know, it's terrible. And we all know it's terrible. We all say it's wrong, and then we all go, oh, but that's the state doing this again. But we have to put that, as you say, Rory, in the same view it through the prism of how we how we throw money at certain other industries, yeah. throw it at them. I mean. Like we don't and not taxing them is a form yes. of throwing money at them. That's what people you know. It's, when a, it's illegal yeah. state aid, is what the EU exactly. Commission said, and 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 we said, oh, mind your own business, and let's let's we have to be completely truthful about it, and that's where I find it the most frustrating thing. I just think it's, and it goes, and again, if you want no, the, the point, point well made, point well made. I think you know that it's. Listen, we have to uh, finish we, up. I want to put a call out for that um, protest on. Please the, do. The 18th of February, Saturday, the 18th, from Parnell Square to the Customs House. Um, and it's been, it's a solidarity march. Um, you can share it under hashtag Ireland for all, stronger together, homes for all, healthcare for all, services for all. Um, and yeah, if you can, please try and make it. Um, and as uh, Lakela points out, who the organisers join us in communities from across Ireland in standing against hatred, division and the scapegoating of minorities for government failures, it's time to celebrate the diversity of Ireland. So Saturday, the 18th of February, 1.30 Parnell Square. Hope to see you there. Thanks, folks. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Cheers.